0: Sometimes I think I'm back in West Michigan where um, the sun disappeared, I used to say, at Thanksgiving and reappeared at April the 15th. Okay, it would be gone during that period of time. But but we're happy to be here this morning. May Christ be the brightness of our day. Uh, As we begin our study, I want you to be turning to um, Colossians 2. Yes, we're studying in the book of Leviticus, the Gospel according to Leviticus, but I'm going to take you to a, a couple of places in the New Testament this morning uh, as a refresher as to where we are coming from and where the Word of God is coming from. Let's pray together as we open our study. Our Heavenly Father, We have met to worship. We have met to learn. And we ask, dear Father, that your spirit be upon this hour too. We thank you, Father, for the good reports of those who have been baptized and those who have come into the kingdom. We thank you, dear Lord, for your salvation that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bless us together as we study this wonderful book of Leviticus, and all of this, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Colossians chapter two. Do you guys? Um, no, I, I'm not requiring it. Read Leviticus during the week to prepare for our mind class. If you don't, we forgive you. Okay. Leviticus can be. Tedious to read. Oh boy. It can be downright, as people would have it, boring. Mm. The reason is it's repetitive. It goes over and over again. It says much of the same things over and over again. It's like reiterating the truths that it's trying to convey. But if you recall, I said that The book of Hebrews is the connection with Leviticus. I should say it's the primary connection. Goodness, it has connections, the New Testament does, with uh, a number of books in the New Testament have a connection with Leviticus. And you remember that when we were introducing the study, that we said Leviticus contains the very words of God more than any other book in the Bible. That is, direct speech from God, more than any other book. And so, it's important for us to make sure that we are connecting with, anchoring our study of Leviticus in the New Testament. I don't know what your own personal views are, but there's a standard uh, view about the importance of the Bible that the New Testament takes preeminence, or you must result of, go move from the new back to the old, if you were to have a comprehensive understanding of the Bible. I agree with that concept. I agree with that rule. And so that's in that spirit, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses... 16 let's go back to yeah verse 16 and following so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come but the substance is of Christ And our study today is in Leviticus 19, and it's about Christ. And we need to make sure that we have that anchor when we study this thing, that we will not get bogged down in the details. While we're in the New Testament, however, I want you to go over to Hebrews. Yes? We came from Hebrews. We studied Hebrews. Chapter 10. Remember the book of Leviticus, we are reading from the law. The Levitical priesthood. This is Aaron, Moses, setting forth the rules, if you will. The law. Chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow, there's that word again. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then why would they have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. And then it goes on to explain why they had to repeat it over and over. And it's because they were but a shadow of the truth of Jesus Christ. He came and He died one time, and you don't have to do it anymore. He is the Telos in the Greek of the law. The end of the law. It culminates in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. One more, or a couple more. Hebrews 8. A beautiful passage, in my opinion. Hebrews 8, 5. Let's go back on verse 4. For if he were on earth, that is Christ, he would not be a priest. He didn't qualify. Since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and, what's that word? Shadow. Shadow of the heavenly things, the true things, the things that are really true. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you in the mountain. Wow. Shadow, pattern, all of these things are shadows of they are predictors of, they are descriptors of, in a kind of rudimentary sense, Jesus Christ and his perfections. So that now turn to back, just look back across the page to 712. This is about, if you recall, I'm shortening it, it's about Melchizedek. You remember that uh, Abraham met Melchizedek? and paid him tithes. Whoa. That's right. Who is this Melchizedek person? Well, he is the pattern of, he is the shadow of, Jesus Christ himself. He was not a pre-incarnate appearance, appearance of Christ. Not. But he was a shadow of Christ Melchizedek, he was not of the Aaronic line, and so he didn't qualify to be the priest, but the Lord said, Melchizedek is the priest. And Abraham paid him tithes, did honor to Melchizedek. Who is this Melchizedek? He didn't qualify as a priest, and neither did Jesus Christ. I just want to stimulate your minds to think about these things. They're really important when we get back to the book of Leviticus. Jesus would have, if he were on earth, he would not qualify as a priest. Because you had to be of the line of Aaron and he was not that. But we understand that he is the fulfillment of these types that we're studying back in Leviticus. Now turn back to Leviticus, please. Chapter 19. We won't complete the entire thing. It's, it's pretty lengthy. But I'm going to try to skip over some stuff because you guys have already heard a lot about these things. And there is a certain degree of repetition that we see as we read these. This one's an interesting one, though. As it starts, chapter 19, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Again, we have the very words of God. God speaking to Moses. Quote, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, Ye shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. That sounds very New Testament, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does indeed. It's repeated in the New Testament at least twice. Be ye holy as I am holy. It's the Lord speaking. Verse three: Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Does that sound familiar? Honor your father and mother. Keep the Sabbath. We're talking the Ten Commandments. And there they are. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourself molded gods. I am the Lord your God. There comes that phrase again. And if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. Now, I don't, I'm not so sure that the translation there of free will... I have my own view about free will, um, is, is accurate, but of the person's own will. That, <laughs> excuse me, that is to say, it was not required in any way that you offer a peace offering, but you can if you want. The issue about free will often comes up in my evangelical discussions online. Uh, unless you come to Jesus of your own free will, you cannot be saved. Well, there's a truth to that somehow. But let me ask, I've said this before, from here, I believe. Adam and Eve had free will. And when they sinned, everything was ruined. They became sinners. Was the will ruined in the fall? Why is the will, according to some in today's world, it's the one thing that passed through the fall without effect, and man still has free will? Well, it depends. How do you define free will? This one here is talking about an offering, a peace offering, free will, of your own free will. If you define free will, you've heard me say this before, those of you who are familiar with my views on this. If you define free will as that ability, that human ability, to make your choices according to what you desire, then it is a, then it is a, a, I affirm the free will of man. If it means that you have the ability to choose what you want to. Okay. And as you know, I have written a treatise on man's want to is broken. Where do you get your want to's? Where do you get the options to choose from? What makes you choose this versus that? Somehow you must be presented with the choices. Do they come from the will? No. They come from the heart. From the innermost being. You see where I'm headed? What's the state of affairs with a human heart? What does the Bible say? It is desperately wicked. The natural state of man is the heart is desperately wicked. It will not seek after God. It will not choose to take God. It will not choose... to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, the New Testament teaches it can't. It does not have the ability to choose the good. So how in the world does the will choose to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? You do have to choose to trust Christ. But something has to happen before that, and we call it the new birth. Jesus said you must be born again. Except you be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. Later, he says you shall not enter into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Before a man comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, or a person, excuse me, the heart must be changed in a supernatural work we call the new birth. And it is only then, indeed, at that point, the will now changed, or excuse me, the heart now changed, finds the ability to, in John chapter 6, No one can come to me except the Father who is in heaven. The the Father who sent me draws him. How does he draw him? By the new birth. The new birth originates with God, not with man. Man does not choose to be born again. Man is born again. It it seems to me the very same thing. We have in the world today, a common experience. Children are born. Did any of them choose to be born? No. Nor do we choose to be born again. We're born again by the Spirit of God who enables us. John 6, 65. He enables us. He gives us the ability to see Christ and to see the kingdom and to enter in. He gives us new birth. And so all of these things have to do with Christ and God. I know that the things that I've just said offend some. There are those who are offend that says, you're saying that man doesn't have free will. I didn't say that, did I? I said, man has a free will. He can choose what he wants to. It's the want to that is the problem. It's the heart, not the will. And that's the thing that uh, that I teach regularly in my witness for Christ. You don't get the opportunity to say, I want to be born again. And I saw uh, recently a, a thing about that. And except you be born again, you shall not come, uh, uh, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God. And, and the person represents that as saying, now you have to think about, I want to be born again. Except that you have no ability to be born again, you're born again of the Holy Spirit of God. It is God's choice. It is God's work. We are the respondents to that work. Praise be to God for that, eh? I was saved out and many of you will uh, attest to it. I didn't want to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? I mocked I get mocked every day, by the way. (laughs) Now that I'm a a, a witnessing for Christ, I get mocked and, and just taken to task by just about everybody when I declare these truths over on Quora. And I get slammed. But the truth of it is, it is God that's doing the saving. It is God who changes the heart so that the will gets the choices, or if you will, is enabled to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I was born out of a wickedness. My heart was wicked. It didn't want Christ. It had nothing to do with Christ until he just, uh, put it in the vernacular, slapped the daylights out of me. I mean, it was hard, folks. I was under conviction for months, six at least. So much so that my dear wife thought I had some kind of mental disorder. Morose, angry, totally different. I didn't want Christ. I had no, (laughs) there was nothing. But the men who had witnessed to me left one thing with me that seemed to have an effect, the Word of God. And the Word of God entered into my heart and the Spirit changed it. wasn't my choice. <laughs> I just told you what my choice would have been. No, no, no. It was a spirit at work. And I literally threw myself on the floor of my bedroom. And I asked God, the God I, I entitled my uh, testimony, the God I did not know, I asked the God I did not know to forgive me of my sins. Here I stand. I'm a believer. I owe it all to not to my will, not to my heart, but to Christ and God's Spirit that converted me and made me capable of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I did, I have, and I have not regretted not one minute. We don't want to spread some sort of message around that if you just get your head on right and think straight that you can come to know the Lord. No, we're preaching the new birth. The Spirit of God must work in your soul. And it does it how? This is the key. And I'll finish my little uh, diversion on this. The key is exactly what you should be doing. Preach the word. God is pleased to use the word of God and the gospel preached to work his work in the hearts of those who hear. It is God who uh, commands us, preach the gospel to every creature. I always like that word creature. <laughs> I was a bit of a creature when, I was <laughs> when they preached to me. Uh, uh, but preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because God is pleased by the gospel To work the new birth. Boy, and there I stood with the Bible reverberating these words There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. They have all gone astray. I remember those words. I remember the conviction and the feeling that I had about that. We are not in the business of doing things right so that we will qualify for salvation. We await the work of the Holy Spirit, working the new birth in our hearts by the preaching of the Word. And that's why it's so important for us to preach and by the uh, when I say preach, I suppose I need to widen that a little bit. We need to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to preach the gospel, to tell the gospel that Christ has died for sins. Back to Leviticus 19, where I digressed for a long time. Verse 3, let every one of you revere his mother and father and keep my Sabbath, I am the Lord your God. That's the Ten Commandments repeated. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourself molded gods. The Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. And then he talks about the free will offering. It shall be eaten the same day that you offer it, and on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Is that interesting stuff? It really is. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord and that person shall be cut off from his people. You offer a peace offering, and you're required to eat it, or you you eat it on the same day that it's offered. And there's usually some leftover. I have some in my refrigerator, for instance. I don't know, if that's, leftovers are in there, and it's okay. But after the third day, after that, it becomes an abomination. Wow. (laughs) I just think that that's something. Now, there are other issues about three days. What's that remind you of? I'll leave it to your imagination. The things in the book of Leviticus are typical. They are shadows of things to come. They are not the things themselves, but they are the things that are to come. They are pictures of, they are shadows of, they are types of the things to come. And all of those things find their full meaning one place and one place only, Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. This is about Jesus Christ. Now, the the, uh, question to each of us is, well, how does that work? How do I see this uh, in the book of, of Leviticus? How do I read that so that it all culminates, culminates in Christ? Well, I think the free, uh, the free will offering or the peace offering is a perfect example of that. It has to do with Christ. Then comes verse 9. Back in Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You get the picture? Farmers uh, uh, reap their field, but there's always grain or whatever it is that falls on the, uh, when you're turning the tractor or whatever the horses or whatever you got. The Lord gives them the instruction. To leave the stuff lay. Why? Because along comes Ruth. Huh? Yes. She went and gleaned behind the, uh, the harvesters. Ruth, an important figure in the history of Jesus Christ. And so these things are applying to that, and it talks about generosity. It talks about being compassionate with the poor who would follow and glean those corners and such. that Nothing went to waste, but it did provide for those who had little or nothing. And says, You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape in your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Then verse 11 You shall not steal, Ten Commandments, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. you shall not, and you shall not swear by my name falsely nor shall you profane the name of your god i am the lord uh, all you have to do is listen to tv just for a few minutes news reports sports uh, things it, it's almost even i'm not i'm not naive i mean i was one of them But I am just blown away at the way in which people in our world today profane the name of God. It's time we call them out on that kind of stuff. Especially if that person claims to be a Christian. Always tickles me to play play one of those uh, uh, what do you call them? those reels about a Christian person or something like that and only to find out that he's cursing (laughs) in his testimony. Yeah, okay. I'm not so sure that that I can believe on that kind of thing. You shall not cheat your neighbor, verse 13, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. Now that's just a cultural practice. They paid a person at the end of the day. That makes sense. Kind of like me when I first started working the farm as a kid, they would pay me that day. But uh, but some would hold it back and wait till the next day and those kind of things. And we ought not to do that kind of stuff. We should not. Um, uh, uh, we should have compassion on people and make sure that we pay what we promise. Then comes 14, which I just blows my mind. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. People do that? Uh, 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 My wife uh, comes from a long line of deaf people. They attended the school in Jacksonville. I think there's another one in, what, Pennsylvania or something like that. But they attended the school in Jacksonville, though they were from Oklahoma and uh, um, uh, uh, Missouri. They attended the school in Jacksonville for the deaf. We have any number. I, I can think of about 20 people in her family line that are deaf. I have never, ever had the thought of cursing the deaf <laughs> or, or put a stumbling block before the blind. Oh, my goodness. But shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty. That's about like in their courts, you know. We should not allow rich guys... To be able to get their way in courts of law. no. Nope. That's not in keeping with the principle that is laid out here. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Tell me later about judging. Uh, no, Dell's not in here, but I submitted a, I submitted a, uh, a thing to Dell on judging. You know, it's a common thing to say, those unbelievers say, you should not judge anybody. That's not what the Bible teaches. It says you should judge your neighbor righteously. But it doesn't say don't judge your neighbor. If you have a good Christian friend, since I'm a man, I'll, I'll use a man example. If you have a fellow who is a good Christian friend, and he's cheating on your wife, his wife, and you know it, shouldn't you judge? Go for it. If you don't, I believe that you are violating the principles of your Christian faith. The problem is, in uh, Matthew chapter, the, uh, the, is that 7-1, um, you shall not judge? Yes, 7-1. And all of that is that it says, but if you have sin in your own life, which is just as bad or worse, don't be judging. First, remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to judge your brother. The the righteous judge all things, the Apostle Paul said, but is not judged rightly by anyone. Of course we're to make judgments. Of course we're to judge our brother and Get in his face if he's sinning against God, and you know it. And so all of these things apply. It's really in kind of typical form, yes, and sometimes hard to understand. We will get back. I'm going to finish um, uh, uh, this for today since our time has run out. But we'll get back to this because in 19 there's uh, still a few things I want to pull out of there. I hope that one thing that you have seen by way of just structure of of the 19th chapter, it's a repetition in a lot of ways of the Ten Commandments with comments if you will. It's as though The writer is making comments on the Ten Commandments. And so it's a a very interesting passage of Scripture. You shall keep my Sabbaths. Do you all keep the Sabbath? Oh, I'm going to leave you with this provocative thought. Folks, the Sabbath, no matter how you do it, you have to argue for some change in the New Testament. The Sabbath is the seventh day. We celebrate the first. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't keep the Sabbath. Oh my. (laughs) Okay. That'll give you something to think about. Do I keep the Sabbath? You bet I do. In the spirit of Hebrews chapter 4, he who has believed does enter into that Sabbath rest. Sorry, I have to be so vigorous, but I've entered into the Sabbath, and I live in the Sabbath. I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have entered into that eternal Sabbath rest. The Sabbath was typical of that. And in that way, we must read the book of Leviticus, the gospel according to Leviticus. Let's close. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for these things, even in the book of Leviticus, that we moderns find difficult to grasp sometimes and to understand But Lord, help us to see in all of these things how they are brought to their culminating effect in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord, and then cause us to praise him with all praise. For he is the end of the law for those who believe. Thank you, Father, for the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.